0: Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast. This is Kelly Birmingham. This is a 25 year look back, a retrospective look back on my career in autism. And I'm here with my partner in crime, Jen Lucero, mom to Dylan and Ethan. Hi, Jen. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> hey, everybody. So we're talking first responder training, and we've got the best of the best here with us. Yeah, will we you,
1: do. Will you introduce mm-hmm. our guest? Yes, um, the lovely Miss Kate, Kate Mobius, one of my favorite people. I think we've been friends now for at least a decade. At least. And yes, and um, we have partnered together in many ventures um, throughout our autism world um, between um, Autism Speaks, Surfers Healing, uh, we've done a lot of different talks and different roles. Yes, yes, and um, I just have such respect for you, and I've learned a lot from you, especially when it comes to working with first responders, and in my new role with Special Olympics, I work really closely with um, law enforcement, right. and I've kind of taken a lot that I've learned from you to implement, like trying to build relationships and understanding about our kiddos, so yeah, um, Why don't you, again, let us know, you know, what all the wonderful things that you do, and then we can talk about safety.
2: Sure. Well, um, thank you for that lovely introduction. Uh, First and foremost, I am the mom to Mm -hmm. two wonderful boys. It's never boring in our house. I will tell you that. Um, There's Aiden, who's 21, and he's taught me everything I know about autism and patience and humanity and depth and imagination. And I could go on and on. And then there's James at 16, who is my rock. Um, I have been training first responders for about 13 years. And I began because by the time he was three, Aiden had met his first LAPD officer uh, because he had gone missing. And Aiden then proceeded to become what is the greatest misnomer, which is a wanderer. He was really a sprinter <laughs> and he, he would get out as many of our loved ones with autism do. And that was a behavior that he engaged in quite a lot. And we worked with him on it extensively and continue to work with him on it. Um, he had his last major incident, which was really a, a um, Very, very frightening incident in 2014 and I always knock wood when I say that because for our loved ones with autism, you can never say really that any behavior is over or done or outgrown.
1: um,
2: Because autism is just not a linear. um, kind of existence, you know, and I know that Aiden is a kinesthetic athletic guy he's amazing out on the water. As yes, you know, is. Feeling and he <laughs> likes to move and it's very frustrating for him because he has extremely limited language skills. And I think moving for him is this great form of expression. And all of this is to say that for first responders who arrive on scene for an individual who has autism or perhaps another kind of developmental disability or Alzheimer's or dementia, to expect those first responders to understand how to communicate with that individual how to get an identification, how to de-escalate that individual is, is way above and beyond the information that these first responders typically get when they're trained. So I created this program, because I thought, well, next time Hayden goes missing, now this is 13 years ago, mm-hmm. I really want officers arriving on scene to understand better how to make him safe, and by extension, the community safe. And by extension, themselves safe, because as our guys and gals grow, and Aiden is now an adult, um, the stakes really get higher. They really get higher for this population when, uh, if and when they have interactions with first responders, um, It things can go sideways very fast because mm-hmm. our, our um, loved ones don't typically have any kind of visual sign of a disability. And I always say at the start of my trainings, Autism is an invisible disability, you know there's no special um, look to autism there are no facial features, there are there's no wheelchair there's no cane. Our our loved ones look fantastic, and so their behavior often mimics criminal behavior and I know that sounds extreme to say, but if you think about it, somebody who refuses to um, say their name. When asked somebody who refuses to comply, somebody who doesn't look you in the eye, um, somebody who pulls down maybe a display at a target or something, mm-hmm. all the things that our loved ones. Um, will often do and i'm sorry you're hearing from my dog right now.
1: <laughs> no <worries.
2: laughs> um. can be misunderstood, they are very easily misunderstood and. So really the goal of my training is to give first responders as many tools as I can in compressed amount of time as I can and teach them also in a way that gets them up on their feet so that it's experiential learning. I learned early on when I started that all my yammering and my lecturing just put them right to sleep. I found it really I found autism fascinating, but it's a static thing when you're in a room. and. And, um, it, you know, you could be in a classroom, any classroom of any age students. And if they're dropping off and falling asleep, it is not their fault. You know, you have to make it exciting and interesting and you have to give them ways in which they'll remember the information. So what i like to do is to put them through the paces of what it might feel like to have a sensory disorder or a communication disorder. And it makes it it makes them laugh. And it's an icebreaker, but it makes them uncomfortable, too.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so over the years the training has really evolved and it's much less talking it's much more exercises and doing and then really the best part of the training is my autistic Mm co-trainers and they come in in the second hour and they run the second hour and they some of them have been with me for many many years um they represent pretty much not the entire spectrum, because the entire spectrum is endless, but really a very wide range of um, autism. So we have people who are very verbal and cracking jokes and really funny and able to talk about getting maybe bullied in school, maybe talking about what it's like to drive, you know, to go driving for them and things that might make them nervous if an, if an officer stopped them. And then we have individuals who are completely nonverbal, Um, who have had the police called on them and their families because citizens weren't understanding what was going on. Um, They were concerned about noises that they heard. And I would say that that portion of the population is among the most vulnerable because they're the ones who get the cops called on them (laughs) oftentimes. So um, we also then have our guys in the middle of the spectrum who are verbal and like to talk and they may script, they may, enact like a Spongebob episode for, um, for the first responders who are present. So all the different ways that autism can present um, are brought to the table. And I think that's really important for first responders, because when you ask, you know, have you met somebody with autism? They might say, yeah, my niece has autism, but she's doing great. You know, she's in with, with regular schoolmates and, you know, however they want to describe their person. And that's the only, person with autism that they know. So that's going to be the expectation, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you know, as we all know, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. It's extraordinarily diverse and it makes these interactions really challenging sometimes.
0: For sure. You know, the fact that you have the experiential piece is what is so incredible because I tried this and I, you know, took on, I had this really large grant, um, when I was at UCI at the autism center to train first responders in orange County. And, you know, I, uh, you know, they'd give me uh, 20 minutes in their roll call time right. and I, you know, at various roll calls. And so I'd show up and I'd have my PowerPoint and I would talk to them and they wouldn't pay attention. And they'd say, yeah, yeah, we got it. We understand. And I was largely ineffective. <laughs> so what I ended up doing was asking them, what do you wish you knew or what, what do you wish the information was that you had? Mm-hmm. And they basically told me, and I'd love your thoughts on this. They said, we're either going to take this person down or not take them down. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trained to do. And I just thought, oh my God, <laughs> what do I do with that? Mm-hmm. And so you have done it. I mean, you have created, will you name your organization? So
2: people awesome. know an interaction solutions. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Autism internal <laughs> And how, will
0: you describe how long is it? How do you get first responders to buy in?
2: Um, you know, I have to capture their attention right away. I put out candy. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I put out candy and um, I've even changed my handouts over the years so that they're very short. You know, it's yep. a pamphlet that I'm holding up right now to show you guys. It's a trifold pamphlet. It's not a bunch of papers. Yep. Um, and I instantly ask them, how many people in this room have ever met somebody with autism? And then I'll ask a few people to expound on that. So who did you meet? Um, and sometimes I'll phrase it into two questions. I'll say, has anyone ever had an encounter in the field with somebody with autism? And can you please describe that?
0: Great question.
2: And then the second question I'll ask is, how many people in this room personally know somebody with autism? And a really striking thing is that when I started this training 13 years ago, I might get one hand, mm-hmm. and now it's it's at least two thirds of the room. Wow. And uh, And I'll say to them, this is why we're standing here. We're standing here because autism affects one in 154 individuals. When my son was diagnosed, it was one in 166. And they start to really, really listen to this. And I say, you are very likely to encounter somebody with autism or a developmental disability uh, when you're working. Um, So I try to instantly engage them and I talk to them then about Aiden and his incident where it was a critical missing. He um, was gone for three hours in Highland Park at night. Wow. Showed up with no clothes at a major intersection, was hospitalized as a John Doe. Because my 911 call crisscrossed and they refused to tell me anything about him until they could check me out, which I understand now. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't tell me whether he was alive or dead for 20 minutes. So for 20 minutes, I stood outside of the house. And I didn't know I knew that they had picked him up and hospitalized him. And I said to the dispatcher, can you tell me if he's alive? And she said, I can't. So, and that's what I start with. And I say, Mm -hmm. you know, it all ended happily. It all ended well, but it was the worst day of my life. It was terrifying, um, and I think that the more personal you can make it. And I've done away with all PowerPoint, by the way.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's there's no uh, there's nothing going on behind me. Yep, there are no pictures. Um, I do think PowerPoint and pictures and little films can be used really, really well, um, but I just find that the the For me personally, it's my style to just get them on their feet and to move a lot. It's a very active um, one hour and I've kept it to one hour. If it goes beyond one hour, you know, it's too much. And then um, at the end of the hour, I give them a quiz. And it's fun. I give them this quiz and I give them these glasses. Ah, These are like the glasses you'd get at a rave, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so they have these glasses, and it's that's again is another icebreaker, and it's you know it's nice for them. And then I say to them, "You're going to start this quiz, but first you're going to put your pen in your opposite hand, and go." Awesome. And the, and the, they, the, the glasses are like a rave. So do they, is it hard to see? Yeah, they're just they're, it's just a distractor. So everything looks like it's covered in rainbows, right? And <laughs> then the rave. Okay, then, <laughs> that's right. And then they are trying to write with their opposite hand and I have questions like, you know, draw an octagon. What does NBA stand for? Who was the first president of the United States? This is a fifth grade general knowledge quiz, actually. Um, And, but what it means is they have to spend time trying to write the answers. And at the same time, I have my other colleagues from the MET team, um, because they generally work with the Ellie Sheriff's Department Met Team, which is the mental evaluation team, they're awesome, um, and they run around ringing cowbells and banging on desks. And I stand at the at the front with a little transistor radio held up to the mic, because so we have a mic, and I just play static, like, and then I change the station, and it might go to a religious station, and then I change the station, and it might go to Top Forty. So there's just a lot going on. And then in the meantime, I also keep saying into the mic, okay, you should be almost done. You should be almost done. You should be at least halfway there. And please raise your hand when you're done. So I'm putting a lot of pressure on them. Once the hands start coming up, you know we stop. And I ask them, what's the hardest thing about what you just went through? And almost always they say, it was really hard writing with another hand. And it's really interesting when I ask them, why was it so hard to write with your opposite hand if you could break it down? And they say, because it, you know, it hurt my brain. Mm. It it was physically uncomfortable. I couldn't get the information out. Like, mm-hmm. what does this sound like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It sounds a little bit like what our loved ones go through every day. Right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: For sure. And then I asked them, you know, what if the results of this quiz would affect your pay grade? What if wow. you were being graded? by people who didn't care about the fact that you were given enormous challenges, and your grades were then going to either get you further or, or not. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's an obvious question. Wow. But I, I keep trying to put them inside the skin of somebody who has all that information trapped inside of them, and they can't get it out, you know, or somebody who's being pressured and pressured and mm-hmm. pressured. And they again can't really get out information that they should very easily be able to get out
0: yeah
2: because i think that that giving people that opportunity for empathy um is is very powerful i think that's the stuff that sticks with them
1: definitely so i've seen you in action um so many times through the years and there's three different you know, well, I mean, they're all amazing, but there's three different times and totally different settings that really made an impact on me um, as a parent and just learning and seeing how everybody reacts to what you do. Um, One was one of the first times, and I think it was early on when you were doing this, it was with um, first responders, with law enforcement. I think it was in Redondo Beach. And... I was really struck by how you did present and that I remember that you had different scenarios in place. And so you, you know, did like four different stories. You did have, um, you know, supporters that were on the spectrum there to um, answer as well. So you would ask um, the first responders like, hey, this is happening you know, what should you do, and I thought it was great, because they would have answers, and then, um, you know, our friends that were on the spectrum would be like, nope, (laughs) you know, and then they would say what it was like for them, and how they think they should respond, and I just, I saw both the first responders just, like, have their aha moments. As a parent, I was just so, Blown away and inspired because, you know, at that time, Dylan was really young. He was really aggressive. He was having so many behaviors. And I think for all of us, as a parent, as a family member, there's always that fear of like, what is going to happen, especially if you're out in public and like, how are, how is, you know, the general population going to react? But also, what if I'm ever in a situation where and, you know, we all have probably been there where, you know, uh, law enforcement or first responders are called yep. and like, how are they going to react? And, you know, so that was one. Another one was when we did a, a big um, event at Toyota and right. we did a presentation and it, this is cool because in a way, you know, you were speaking to an entire company Um, but there were so many different employees and aspects of that company. I just remember how you just blew everybody away, you know, and it was just, I I felt like they got so much out of it. And they also had, as you remember, ability, um, program where they hire, um, Mm -hmm. individuals with disabilities. So that was so important to them. And then last but not least, um our you know our biggest walk of our organization mm-hmm. watching you with when we get ready for our you know 55,000 people at the Rose Bowl we have hundreds of first responders so it's police fire EMT um, security you name it and watching you in action you take charge and you're telling everybody like this is what's going to happen this is what we need to do we've had scenarios happen. Um, you know, when it all came out great, um, no one knows, you know, it just, Mm -hmm. it all worked out, but I just, you know, you're so good at what you do and I'm just, uh, have so much respect for you. And I just want you to know just like how much it's impacted me, like both personally and professionally. So kudos to you.
2: That's really kind of you. And, um, Thank you so much. And you know, we're all in this together. We are raising our loved ones together. And we have to, we just have to, I mean, so much of this is about community building. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's moms, dads, families, it really starts with that. I mean, I don't know about you. But I don't know what I would have done in those early days when I knew nothing. Yeah, if it hadn't been for other moms.
0: In, we're kind of like a sleeper group, I think,
2: mm-hmm. because,
0: you know, we're not the three of us, and then a bunch of us that are in our tribe, we're not out there showy, splashing, mm-hmm. trying to be famous like I know some folks are, frankly. Um, but between Jen and Kate, the two of you, the thousands of families you've impacted and first responders you've impacted is incredible, by the way, <laughs> with all the work that you've done. What I really would love to hear, Kate, it, what are one of those scenarios you put in front of the police office or first responders, mm-hmm. if you think back, like what's a scenario, um, what's a scenario you posed them with?
2: well um you know there's two that come to mind right away because they're so different uh-huh. and it requires really really different responses so one is a scenario in which uh, a young child is found in a diaper by the side of the highway oh wow and they're nonverbal. Wow. and the another scenario is where a young adult has the cops called on her mm-hmm. she's in an apple store and she's having a lot of trouble. And she's having what is what we know is a meltdown. Mm -hmm. She's having a sensory meltdown. And she's got a backpack on and she's pounding her own head. And she's, she is really, really stuck. And she doesn't have a caregiver with her because she is able to be out and about on her own. And those two individuals couldn't be more different. But they couldn't Mm -hmm. also be at more risk. They are at grave risk, both of those people, right? Yeah. And So, you know, really that the the bottom line is that I'm asking first responders to shift their expectations and to get out of that black and white mindset of, you know, I'm either going to take you down or I'm not. Right. Exactly. Here's here's the thing. No first responder wants to come home and say to their family that they had to use force with an individual with a disability. Mm -hmm. None of them. Nobody. It's a bad story. It's a bad ending. It changes people's lives for the worse. What they love to be.
0: What? What a quote. I just wrote that down.
2: (laughs) But what they would love to do, and I've seen it over and over again when people share stories with me, first responders share stories with me, is to tell a story that's successful Mm -hmm. with a complex individual that they had on a call. Yeah. It's... Overall, I mean, I even had um, a sheriff's deputy reach out to me and say, hey, I wanted to thank you for your autism training, because last night, we took into custody a guy who was high on meth at a McDonald's. Okay, so (laughs) this is not, I don't mention, I don't mention guys who are high on meth in my training. Mm -hmm. But he shared many characteristics with an individual with autism in that moment. He was nonverbal. He had taken all of his clothes off, by the way. Mm -hmm. He was unable to respond and so they did what I tell them what I say to the to the first responders in the room at the outset is I'll say there's there's one if there's one thing you take away from this training today. Okay, if you if you screen everything else out fine. This is the one thing time is your friend time is the greatest tool you have. In 99% of these situations, obviously it's off the table sometimes. Okay. Yeah. But taking your time and not just rushing in is going to really help the outcome. And it's really going to help you to stay safe, mm-hmm. you know, because really first responder safety is very important too. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. And, um, I had one young guy share with me a story where he was on a school bus, he was called because a teenage girl with nonverbal autism had a very violent uh, meltdown on a school bus so they cleared out the bus yeah. and he sat with her for six hours. Wow, she she de escalated and he was so happy and of course her family was so grateful and she too. You know, to have somebody who's patient and listening, and just sort of remaining kind of open to the situation, and yes, you know, I mean, it's this is an armed individual who comes, to right. these right. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: this is not a social worker, right? This, is, you know, we should have more social workers. We should have more non-law enforcement options. But this is a situation where you have a bus driver who's in crisis calls nine hundred and eleven, mm-hmm. yeah, and you know. It would be great if we could if we could have another system definitely, but this was just a young deputy who showed up and took a lot of time. So time is really important and also shifting their expectations about what constitutes non compliant behavior Mm -hmm. because non compliance is a signal of rudeness, disrespect. It's all these things can really, really escalate a situation with law enforcement or with first responders, Mm -hmm. but mainly with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And let's take that disrespect piece out because this isn't about not respecting you. This isn't about um, the person willfully non complying not complying. And once they meet the uh, my, my autistic co-trainers, they really get it.
0: Mm-hmm. They
2: really see how this is just a different way of being. Um, it may seem, you know, to someone who's never met somebody like them, it may seem odd, it may seem awkward because you ask them a question and they're not gonna answer right away or maybe they will never answer, but it's not disrespect.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's not hiding some kind of criminal intent because that's the other thing is if you're, call to a scene, and you're trying to get someone's name, and they're not giving you their name, or they it takes them 20 seconds to give you their name, right. I always say, what does that indicate to you? Mm-hmm. First responders? What do you think happening there? If you're in the field, and someone takes 20 seconds to give you their name, they're lying. They're trying to come up with a different name. They're being disrespectful. So we talk a lot about that, and how yes, that's the case. Certainly, in many yep. situations. Okay. But with this population, this is going to be a behavior that you're very likely to see. So actually, this might set off a little bell in your heads like, oh, this could be mm-hmm. autism or a developmental difference. And how do you help
0: them you know, make that differentiation on the spot? And this is well, clearly one where I failed as a trainer. And I think a lot of people fail as a trainer because we do the whole thing. You know, you can't tell physically and you can't tell this way, but how do you help with that differentiation?
2: I think, you know, it, every case is so different, right? It right. can happen very fast. Um, and if, if, the, if the first responder does not have the information going in, they're at a great disadvantage, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So if they don't have the information going in, I give them as many possible symptoms, I give them these little wallet cards, by the way. Okay, this is what I mean. When I try to make the information really user friendly. Yeah, so, I'm so it's not going, wallet- I'm not going to load them down with like, okay, here are your right. handouts, Right. <laughs> so what I'm does gonna, the
0: wallet card say for our listeners? Well,
2: it's got on one side, um, identifying autism. Okay. And I have, you know, again, I can't put everything on a card about how to identify autism, right? There's no way, there's absolutely no way um but you know everything from no fear of danger may mm-hmm. run into traffic may run into water um mm-hmm. to echolalia
0: mm-hmm.
2: lack of facial expression or exaggerated facial expression mm-hmm. no eye contact or way too much eye contact which would be the case for my son my son <laughs> all of them, smelling them staring into their eyes you know so so i just try to give them and i and what i do say to them is look i can't give you Every single scenario, I can only provide you with with a variety of t- possible tools, mm-hmm. a variety of possible features of autism and developmental disability, and then it's really up to you, you know, as th- with your experience and so forth, to to use them. Um, so on the other side of the card is responding to a call. Nice. So one side is you know possible signs. The other side is how might you respond to a call? And you know, this is another place where I pause in the training and I say, if there's one thing other than taking your time that you will take away from this training, it would be to minimize sensory input. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As long as it's tactically permissible and safe for you, minimize sensory input. That's everything from your lights to your strobes to your canines. Verbal, Having-
0: talking. Mm-hmm.
2: That's a big one, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe you're interacting with with the subject and your coworker, your partner is talking off on the side Mm -hmm. or the radio is making a lot of noise on the side. That's going to potentially really get in the way of of keeping this person's sensory system nice and low. And if they're here, if the person is melting down, do not try to stop the meltdown. Mm Nice. And we've all been there where our our loved ones are melting down and it's it's excruciating and we just want it to stop, right? We want to help them. It's human. And I just tell them that you have to sort of think of this as an as a an act of weather. I always think of Aiden's meltdowns as hurricanes. Mm -hmm. I can't make a hurricane stop. Mm -hmm. But what I can do is I can make sure he's safe while that's going on and that I kind of stay safe I'm not going to get right in front of his face and say, hey, buddy, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a mistake because he might lash out at me. Um, It's the last thing he wants to do. You know, Aiden is not at all aggressive, but his body will lash out when he's, when he's undergoing that kind of fight or flight. So I try to explain to them, if you tell someone no or stop or, you know, quit it, it's it's most likely it's it's not going to work a and b it'll probably escalate the situation
0: and then you combine that with your experiential training component Mm -hmm. so that they hear from um your trainers and then they have to try it themselves wow that's magic yeah
2: well you know what what's what's hopeful what's very hopeful is that i really see that information kind of wave, I, I, I see the knowledge. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: it's, it's, I'm going to sound like I'm like speaking in complete um, abstracts here, but it's it's seeing the light go on, I guess, yeah. in the eyes of the people in that room. Yeah. And there's a change from point A to point B. Yeah. By the end of the class. And, you know, as and we're talking a really wide range of people. Mm -hmm. talking old timers, we're talking really young people, we're talking people who have autistic loved ones themselves. And um, when they meet my co trainers, you could hear pin drop. They are riveted. They're just riveted.
0: I bet. And I know a lot of, uh, ABA providers, BCBAs, people, we all go out and try to do this kind of training and any training is great. I'm not minimizing that, but what you've just described is the gold standard. Well, in training. So in our session notes, we'll be sure to include, for this podcast, we'll be sure to include your website.
2: Well, thank you. You know, one of my, one of my really easy simple goals is to make, um, first responder training a requirement in the state of California. Yeah. You know, Good luck with that, but you know, <laughs> right. it, it actually just happened in, um, I've just printed out, I think it was in Utah. Um, Utah is very different from California, but <laughs> special needs training for law enforcement amendments. So this just passed in the state of Utah. Wow. So um, right. it requires uh, peace officer training to include training on autism spectrum disorder and mother mental illnesses. Why can't we do this here? I mean, yes, California is its own nation. Right. Um, But I think it would be great if we could make that a requirement. And obviously we'd have to provide, you know, the funds for that. I mean, this is where it gets tricky. But if anyone's going to do it, it's us, you guys. So it
0: sounds like we've got a plan. Yeah. Well, thank you you guys so much for this. Kate. Oh, my gosh. I know you've been on a podcast many times. We'll be back again soon. But thank you for all this great information.
2: You're so welcome. Thank you, Kate. Love you. I love you too.